Good morning. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your church today. As Brother John said, my name is Lynn Riley. I live in Smyrna. We are, I am retired from the Arkansas Baptist Convention, and my wife and I are members at Rolling Hills Community Church in Nolensville. And uh, well, I'm excited about being here. Thank you. I, 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 I'm sorry that I'm here for, because of Brother uh, Stephen being sick. This is the third pastor this year that I filled in for because of COVID. So it's, it's, it's something that our, all of our churches are having to deal with. So uh, thank you. You continue to pray for Brother Stephen. He's a good one. Uh, y'all take care of him. He's a good boy. Uh, he, and I appreciate I really love him. I love his attitude. I love his spirit. And I think he's going to be a great pastor for you guys in coming years. Turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at a very familiar passage. If you've been in church very long, for uh, any amount of time, you're familiar with this. But uh, as, as we begin with it, let me tell you, when I was a pastor, I pastored in North Louisiana, pastored a little country church. And like a lot of country churches, we had a tradition there that I loved and hated at the same time. Uh, it was called homecoming. About this time, about the second or third week of March, of, uh, of August every year, we had homecoming. What would happen is our church was about 60 years old, and we, had, we even had some charter members that were still living. And uh, every year we would have homecoming. And what would happen is, is that morning we would have Sunday school and we'd have uh, uh, worship, and they'd usually have a former pastor come back and preach. And then that afternoon we would have dinner on the ground, potluck, covered dish, and then we'd have a gospel quartet. About 2 o'clock, we'd have a gospel quartet come up and, and sing and, and just had a great time. I really loved it because I got to see folks that I hadn't seen in a while. I got to hear a lot about the history of the church because I'd only been there a few years and got to hear all this good stuff and all the you know, family came back and it was fun. But there was one part of it that really bothered me. Because we had uh, dinner on the ground, because we had potluck, I had a group of ladies that would miss Sunday school, and they would miss worship, and they'd be back in the fellowship hall getting all the food ready. Now, I'm a Sunday school guy. I'm a Bible study guy, and it used to drive me nuts. And, I, and our, our church hostess was a lady named Gladys, and I said, Gladys, I was talking to her one day, and I said, Gladys, you know, is there any way that you ladies can do that ahead of time? You're missing a good Bible study. You're missing good preaching, and, and I just hate for you to be back there having to do all that. And she put her hands on her hip and looked like this and said, well, preacher, if you want to eat, I've got to be back there. If you don't, if you don't mind uh, not eating until 2 o'clock, then I can come to Bible study. You take your pick. And I looked at her, and I said, well, you know, Gladys, I just think you're a Martha, aren't you? And you know that made her mad? Now, if you know anything about Martha, we're going to look at Mary and Martha today. Martha is, 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 is those folks in church, and not necessarily women. Sometimes they're, 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 they're men that can be Marthas. They're the ones that get all the things ready. They're the ones working in the background. And be, be, uh, to be honest with you, if we weren't for Martha's in most churches, we would have closed a long time ago. Martha's are important to the church. But in this case, we're going to look at Mary and Martha. And if you're looking for a title of the sermon, the title is, Is It Ever Wrong to Do the Right Thing? And we're going to look at Mary and Martha. And uh, this, if you look in Luke chapter 10, you'll notice that this uh, comes right after the, the uh, Good Samaritan. The, the first part of Luke chapter 10 tells us about the Good Samaritan. And then we talk about Mary and Martha. Jesus and his disciples came to see Mary and Martha, and they have a party. Now, there are three times we see Mary and Martha in Scripture. Here in, in Luke chapter 10, we see them. 
And then again in John chapter 11, we see where that's when Lazarus died. Remember that story? And where Lazarus was died, had died and, and Mary was at home mourning and Martha went out to find Jesus. And then again in, in, in John chapter 12, we see again where Jesus came into their home and we have the beautiful story of, of Mary uh, anointing Jesus with, with very expensive oil. And in all three of these pictures, we see their personalities. We see their personalities. Martha was the administrator. She was in charge. Now, we don't know who was the big sister and who wasn't, but Martha acts like a big sister, okay? I've got two girls, and Melissa is definitely the big sister. She's in charge. Mary has more of a sensitive uh, uh, personality. She's more relational. Martha's got everything going. She's in charge. She's head of the household. Mary is that one that sits back and listens and absorbs everything. If you will, look at Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 38 and read this little story. It says, Now it happened as Jesus went, uh, that Jesus and the disciples went, he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care? that my sister has left me to serve alone. Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. You see the picture we have here? They're getting ready to have a party. And Martha is doing exactly what a good hostess does. She gets everything ready. She takes care of her guest. But let me ask you this question again. Is it ever wrong to do the right thing. As we look at Martha, I think there's several things we can, we can, can look at this. I think, first of all, it's wrong to do the right thing when you do it with the wrong attitude. There in verse 40, he says, But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. You hear what's going on here? A little pity party going on. Got a little self-pity. Here I am working my fingers to the bone, and my worthless sister Mary is just sitting there listening. She's just sitting there listening. She gets, has this little self-party. Then she got argumentative. She got argumentative. She started arguing with Jesus. Don't you care? Don't you care that, that, that my sister is not helping me? She gets very, very argumentative. I think it's interesting. She accuses Jesus of not caring. Look, she says, George, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Did you hear what she just did? Her Savior, who is, who is soon to die on the cross for her sins, to pay a penalty that he did not deserve so that she could have eternal life, and she accuses him <laughs> of not caring, of not caring. And then she got around where she actually told Christ what to do. Therefore, tell her to help me. When's the last time you tried to tell God what to do? <laughs> How far did that get you? But you see what's happening here? She's got this thing, you know, she's got this attitude. I said, you know, Jesus, you are really lucky to have me. If you weren't, if, if, if you didn't have me, you wouldn't get to eat today. You wouldn't have this beautiful place. And she gets telling Jesus about, she has this attitude that, you know, Jesus, you're lucky to have me. Do we have that attitude sometimes in church? When you serve at Mission Point, do you serve out of joy? 
or do you serve out of duty? What's your attitude? Sometimes we get so worn out. This little poem that you may have heard, it says, Mary had a little lamb, would have been a sheep, went and joined the Baptist church and died for lack of sleep. That's the way we are sometimes, you know. We get so wrapped up and we get so, and it, we, it just gets tired. Doug can tell you, sometimes Sunday morning is tough for a preacher. Sundays, I know we're supposed to rest on the Sabbath, but Sunday is a work day for a preacher. And sometimes we as pastors get so wrapped up in what's going on, we miss the joy of worship. We miss the joy of what's going on. And that's kind of what happened to Martha. Martha has got the Son of God. She's got the guys that are fixing to, to birth the, the New, Century, the New uh, Testament church. These disciples, and she's got them in her house, and she's ticked off. Because she's tired and she's working hard. Martha was not doing anything wrong, but she had that attitude that what one old evangelist calls stinking thinking. <laughs> she just was tired. So sometimes it's wrong to do the right thing when you do it with the wrong attitude. I think sometimes it's wrong to do the right thing when things become more important than people. Verse 40 says, But Martha was distracted. With much serving. In verse 41, Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Martha was so concerned with what was going on and was so concerned with the mechanics and the details that she forgot who she was talking to. She forgot what was going on. She decided, and, and Jesus tells her, that she was distracted by many things. Sometimes I think it's, it's wrong to do the right thing when things become more important than God, than people. What, does that happen in church sometimes? Do we get so wrapped up in the, in, in the details that we forget that we're here for people? Do you realize that, that, that everything we do in church is, is, can be summed up in one word? Relationships. If I ever write a book, it's going to be, that's going to be the title of the book. And then each one of the chapters, let me tell you what the chapter is going to be. There's going to be a relationship, uh, uh, our relationship with God. And this could be our relationship with other believers. And this could be our relationship with our family. Our relationship with the lost. Our relationship with the community, which is different than our relationship with the lost. And then our relationship with ourselves. How do we feel about ourselves? See, everything about the gospel is relationships. It's people. And all those details are important. They've got to be done, but not at the expense of relationships. But we're not, we're not guilty of that, are we? Think about some of the things that we have that get in our way. Sometimes it's traditions. Now, you as a, as a new church, you are blessed. You don't have that many traditions, but you do. You've probably got things right now that you, you, you know, over the, you know, how's the church, how's Mission Point? Okay. You probably, you probably got some, some traditions. You do it this way all the time. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Until those traditions become important, more important than the relationships we have with God and our relationships with each other. The seven last words of the church. We've never done it that way before. Or we've always done it that way before. Do our traditions get in the way? Several years ago, I worked with a church up in Bella Vista, Arkansas, a beautiful church, Village, Village Baptist Church. 
And the church is only six years old. But for the first two years, they met in a storefront. And then it was a senior adult church, so they, they, they had, had some, some, some finances. So after two years, they built this beautiful, beautiful complex. Beautiful. One of the prettiest churches you'll ever see. But as I went in there about six years into the process, you know, some of those folks were talking about what it used to be like in that storefront. Remember, what it was, remember the fellowship we had back there? And I'm thinking, hey, folks, you can have that right here. It wasn't the place. It's the people. Sometimes our tradition, sometimes our buildings get in the way. Sometimes we think that the building is more important than people. I get really uh, uh, amused when I go to a church and they build this big old huge gymnasium. This big old gymnasium. You say, why'd you build that gym? Say, we did it to reach the kids. And then the first time you get a scratch on the wall, they go nuts. Or the first time you spill something, they go crazy. This lady wrote a book several years ago. says, where two or three are gathered, somebody spills the milk. (laughs) It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Folks, when you get teenagers together, you're going to have a hole in the wall somewhere. Get over it. Get over it. Don't let them tear your building up. But, but what's more important? Sometimes that happens. Sometimes our opinions become more important. I don't know how many times Cheryl and I in our, in our ministry have counseled with, with, with folks in, with marriage issues or other issues. And to have someone, usually it's the guy, sometimes it's the lady, but usually it's the guy we've heard several times saying, well, I don't, I don't care what the Bible says. Let me tell you what I think. Folks, that's dangerous territory. Your opinions are important, but they're not more important than God's Word. They're not more important than relationships. And sometimes our own personal goals. Do you have personal goals for for Mission Point Church? I hope you do. But do those goals match up with what God wants? Because, see, that's what's going to be be important. Look at, find out what God wants. Henry Blackley says, we don't need to ask God to bless our, our, our efforts. He said, we need to find out what God's doing and get in on it, and he's going to automatically bless it. Don't let your personal goals get in the way. Martha wasn't doing anything wrong, but she let things become more important than people. Sometimes I think it's wrong to do the right thing when you think doing the right thing will make you spiritual. <laughs> You know what it made Martha? It made her mean. Martha is just a mean woman in this story. Bossing Jesus around, telling him what to do. She was doing all the right things. And by, because she was doing that, she thought it gave her the right to, to instruct Jesus about how he should do things. Doing things doesn't make you spiritual. The book of James says being spiritual will make you do things. In John chapter 12, it's another story of Mary and Martha. Now, Martha is not mentioned, but it's in her home. And it's a story where Mary takes this very, very expensive oil, and she breaks that oil, and she anoints Jesus uh, with, with that oil. And Judas comes to Jesus. By the way, Judas was the, the, the treasurer. He was the bookkeeper of the disciples. Judas comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus... Why did you do that? Why did you let her do that? Don't you realize that we could have sold that oil for 300 denarii? Now, denarii was a day's wages. So what he's basically saying, do you realize we could have sold that oil for a whole year's worth of wages? Think of all the good we could have done with that. Now, doesn't that sound spiritual? By the way, ladies, uh, scholars tell us that if you were looking for a, a, a son-in-law in the disciples, Jesus, uh, Judas would have been the pick. 
He was the best. He was probably from a wealthy family. He was educated. He was taking care of the books. You wouldn't want Peter as a son-in-law. Wouldn't want James and John. They were called the sons of thunder. How would you like to be a mother-in-law to that? But if you look at Judas, he, was, he looked pretty good. But he said Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knew that the reason, real reason he wanted that 300 denarii to be in the treasure is so he could steal it. He was embezzling from the treasure. He was a thief. What's important in your life? What's important? Do you think because you come to church and because you don't miss a Sunday, because you work in the church, you think that gives you the, the right to be spiritual? Or that, that that makes you spiritual? I don't think so. It didn't make Judas spiritual. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he calls them whitewashed tombs. Now, when I went to college in Marshall, Texas, went to East Texas Baptist University. It was college back then. It's a university now. Right outside of Marshall, Texas, there's this little town called Scottsville, Texas. Scottsville has got two industries. It's got a filling station and it's got a cemetery. That's all that's in Scottsville. It's an old Confederate cemetery, and, I, and, and Scottsville, uh, Scottsville Cemetery is probably one of the most beautiful places in earth. I haven't been there in about 15 years, but the last time I was there, it was still beautiful. It's an old, it's an old Confederate cemetery. A lot of, the, a lot of the, uh, the graves are there from the 1860s and 1870s. They're beautiful headstones. Some of them are hand-carved. Uh, some of them, maybe you've seen the, the, the the headstone in, in several places where it's got the angel draped over the headstone. They've got one of those. They've got a chapel out there that seats about 100 people in the cemetery. They have weddings out there. <laughs> they have weddings in the cemetery because that chapel's so pretty. And through the middle of the cemetery, there's this little creek that runs, and across the creek, there's a, a little bridge. And on the other side, there's big old magnolia trees. And they've got picnic tables underneath the magnolia trees. And when we were in college, we didn't have any money, so we take our girlfriends on picnic to the cemetery, you know? And we got beautiful. And if you were to, to go to Scottsdale Cemetery, you say, you know, this is one of the prettiest places I've ever been. But guess what? It's still a cemetery. And no matter how much you dress it up, it's a cemetery. And that's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew when he talked to Pharisees. He said, you're like whitewashed tombs. They would take folks and bury them in, in, in caves and then put a rock over it, and then they would whitewash it. And he told, us, he told the Pharisees, he said, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but you're full of bones inside. And that's kind of what he was telling Judas. Or that's what he knew about Judas. Judas, that sounds great. But I know the real reason. Sometimes we think it's wrong. Uh, it's wrong. Sometimes it can be wrong to do the right thing when you do it, thinking that it'll make you spiritual. And then finally, I think it's wrong to do the right things. When doing the right things keeps you from doing the best things. Jim Collins has got a, a book. It's a business book, but it's got a lot of biblical principles in it. It's called Good to Great. And in that book, Jim Collins says the biggest enemy of greatness is settling for goodness. Settling for good. In verse 41, it says, Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Martha wasn't wrong. She just missed the best things, the good things. 
I think it's interesting. He, Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, Martha, my name is, my, I'm a junior. My daddy was Howard. I'm Lynn. He went by Howard. I went by Lynn. And my, the only time my mother ever used my first name was when I was in trouble. Okay. Howard, Lynn, Riley. And then if she put junior on it, I knew I was really in trouble. Martha didn't have a middle name. So I think Jesus just said it twice. And I can see in my mind, Jesus just looking at her and shaking his head and going, Martha, Martha, you just don't get it, do you? You just don't get it. You're troubled about many things. Now, again, he didn't criticize her for what she was doing. He was criticizing her for what she wasn't doing. He says, you're troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Again, back in John chapter 12, where Jesus is dealing with Judas, Judas, uh, Judas tells Jesus, why did you let her sell that? Do you, realize that? Do, you, do you know how many poor people we could have, could have fed? Think of all the poor people we could have fed with that money. And doesn't that sound great? You know what Jesus told him? And this is a paraphrase. He says, Judas, the poor will be with us forever. But at this time, Mary is doing what needs to be done. Now, do not hear Jesus say that we don't feed the poor. That's not what he said. We are called all through Scripture to take care of those who cannot take care of themselves. But what he does say to Judas here is, at this point in time, there's something better. There's something better. Feeding those folks would have been a good thing with that, with that money. But see, Jesus knew that, and, and, that Mary was foretelling his death. Her anointing him with oil was, was a, 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 a foretelling of what was going to happen to him in the future. It was a prophecy, and I don't think she knew that. She may have. God may have revealed that to her. But he says she's doing what needs to happen. Sometimes doing the right thing can keep you from doing the best thing. Earlier in Luke chapter 10, we have the story of the Good Samaritan. And we hear the story of, of, of a man who's been robbed and he's left, for naked, left naked and, and left for dead in a ditch. And Jesus tells the story, there's a priest that comes by and he passes on the other side. There's a Levi that comes by and passes on the other side. You know, as I think about it, those guys probably may have had some good reasons. You know, that priest was on his way to the temple, and, and according to Jewish uh, law and Jewish tradition, if a priest were to touch a Gentile, a non-Jew, or would touch a dead person, that would make him unclean. And in order for him to serve in the temple, he would have to go through a, a purifying process. And it, it, was, it was a multi-day, three-day process before he could be purified and be sanctified to, to serve in the temple. And I think this... this priest could look over and says, I don't know if that guy's dead or alive. And if I, if I, you know, and the Levi, the Levi's were servers. They were the ones that took care of everything in the church, in, in the temple. And Levi's looking over there and said, you know, I, I could go help that guy, but, but I'd be like, you know, who's going to turn the air conditioner on? <laughs> who's going to make the coffee pot? That's what he'd be doing in our world. <laughs> who's going to teach that seventh grade boys class? They're going to they're tear their wall down if I don't get there in time. See, these guys could have had real good, real good ideas, real good excuses to not help the man in the ditch. 
but he was the Samaritan, a person that Jews considered to be lower than human, non-human, lower than a dog. Jesus made him the hero in the story. And in that story, the young lawyer asked Jesus, who, and Jesus asked the young lawyer, who is my neighbor? Who is the neighbor in this story? See, sometimes good things can keep us from doing the best things. What are those things? Well, first of all, I think sometimes it can keep us from actually becoming a Christian, from meeting God. Do you realize the hardest person in the world to, to, to share your faith with and to witness to is a good man? It's a good man. My dad was that way. My dad was, did not become a Christian until late in life. He was in the Masonic Lodge, very active in the Masonic Lodge. Masonic Lodge does some great, great things. And to him, that was his church. And when we would talk about church and talk about Jesus, he said, well, I, I, I'm a Mason. He said, I, I, I take care of all that. I said, Daddy, it doesn't matter. The Masonic Lodge won't forgive your sins. And my daddy was a good man. We lived in a house. It started out with a one-bedroom house. By the time I graduated from high school, it was a three-bedroom house. It took him 20 years to get there because he was so busy helping other people that our house was about to fall down. My daddy was a good man. And because of that, he didn't see why he needed to be a, a, a Christian. We had a young man that lived with us several years ago. I may have shared with this on a previous uh, sermon. Uh, he was a... His name was Oxshot. Now, with a name like Oxshot, you can tell he wasn't from around here. Oxshot was an uh, uh, international student from India, a practicing vegetarian, orthodox Hindu, 16 years old from a very wealthy family, and God put him in a Baptist preacher's house for nine months. You don't think God doesn't have a sense of humor? <laughs> we had a blast. We had fun. But Oxshot was Hindu, and Hindus have th uh, six million, uh, three million gods. They have 6,000 that have names. And when we would talk to Akshat about being a Christian, he'd say, I believe in Jesus. He's a good God. You hear what I said? A good God. And Akshat had no problem with taking Jesus and, and calling him God and putting him up on the shelf with all the, uh, these other uh, uh, 6,000 gods he had, or 3,000 gods. And we would talk to Akshat and say, uh, you know, talk about trusting Christ. And he said, and he would tell us, why do I need to trust Christ? My morals were better than those kids who got down to church. He would go to church with us every Sunday. And in a lot of cases, he was right. Moral, Hindu people are very moral people. And if you look at the way he lived his life and look at some of the teenagers in our church, he was more moral than they were. And Oxshot never trusted Christ for them. He's now uh, just graduated with his master's degree. He lives in, uh, in New Jersey. He's married. And he's open to the gospel still. But Akshat has to get over this idea that he's good because he's not good enough. Sometimes it can keep us from meeting God. I don't care how bad you are, you're not beyond God's reach. But I don't care how good you are, you're not good enough for your own salvation. And you need to understand that. Sometimes the best things may be family time. Sometimes we get so involved in good stuff we neglect our families. And do you realize that your family is your first duty, your first ministry? As a parent, as a grandparent, your first responsibility are those in your family. 
And sometimes we get so wrapped up in other stuff, we let our family suffer. And then sometimes it may be maybe keeping us from what God really wants you to be. You may be doing good things now, but is there something better? Is there something better? Does God have something for you that would blow your mind? There was a church growth principle several years ago. It was called a BHAG. You know what a BHAG is? It's a big, hairy, audacious goal. And a BHAG is one of those things that you could not accomplish unless God was in the middle of it. You could not do it unless God was in it. Are there things that God has called you to do and say, well, there's no way, I, I, I don't see how I could do that. Has God called you to go somewhere? Has God called you to do something? Sometimes it may be across the street to talk to that neighbor that you need to build a relationship with. Sometimes it may be going to the Dominican or going somewhere else. But does God have something for you better than what you got? You say, well, you know, I'm, I'm serving in church. Uh, I'm living a good life. I pay my tithe. I, I, I take care of my kids. I take care of my family. What else is there? There could be so much more. As a uh, preschooler, I remember a poem that we used to say. It says, Pussycat, Pussycat, where have you been? I've been to London to see the Queen. Pussycat, Pussycat, what did you do? I frightened a mouse under her chair. Doesn't that sound like what we do in church? We're in the presence of the Almighty God, and we're too busy chasing rats, too busy with all those other things around us. Vance Havner was an old evangelist, and sometimes it's like, like playing uh, marbles with diamonds. We take all the glorious things that God gives us and take them for granted rather than using them to glorify him and to share his love. What are those good things that God wants you to do? What are those best things that God wants you to be? If you are comfortable in your faith, you're probably not where God wants you to be because see, God makes us uncomfortable. God makes us uncomfortable. It may be in another culture. It may be across the street. It may be with your best friend that you've never shared your faith with. When you follow the Almighty God, in an unholy world, it's going to make you uncomfortable, and it might make other people uncomfortable. Martha was doing the good things, but she wasn't doing the best things. What does God have for you today? Let me share one, one last story with you. When my first church out of seminary, I was youth minister in a church in, in Louisiana, out in the country, and uh, our oldest member of our church was a lady named Mammy Herod. Mammy was 87 years old. This was 1979, 87 years old. And uh, my pastor told me one day, he said, you need to go out and, and see Mammy and ask her about her testimony. And I looked at him, I said, preacher, I am the youth guy. Why do I need to go see an 87-year-old 80 lady? He said, trust me. He said, just go talk to Mammy. So I went out and I, I, had, I had lunch with Mammy. We had a, an onion sandwich. Have you ever had an onion sandwich? White bread, mayonnaise, and onion. That was it. Sweet tea with two with two drops with two uh, two ice cubes in it. You could have had syrup on your 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 pancakes. It was so thick. 
Never had an onion sandwich since, but I had one that day. And I said, Mammy, tell me about your life. Tell me about it. And she said, when I was a little girl, she said, I remember our church getting letters from Lottie Moon. She was, Lottie Moon was still alive when Mammy was a little girl. And she said, I can remember our church getting letters from Lottie Moon asking us for money to feed the Chinese people that are starving. And she said, when I was eight years old, partly because of Lottie Moon, partly because of other things, she said, I felt like God was calling me to be a missionary. And more explicitly, to be a missionary to China. She said, I was eight years old. She said, God, she said, I have no doubt that's what God wanted me to do. But she says, I, I grew up, got to be a teenager, got to be a young adult. I met a young man, and we fell in love, and we got married. He said, he's a great Christian, but he wasn't called to missions like I was. And she said, she said, I met this young man. So we got involved in church. He became a deacon. He said, we had three children. He said, we were married for about 35 years. And uh, said, my husband passed away. And she said, about three or four years later, she, met, she said, I met another man. He was a widower. He was a deacon. And she said, we got married. And said, we served. And he said, he loved my kids. He loved my grandkids. And said, God blessed us in so many ways. And said, we were married for about 15 years. And he passed away. She said, then I met a man, a third man. He was a deacon, a widower. So we got married. Long story short, Mammy had been married 60 years to three different men <laughs> over her life. And she said, every one of my husbands loved Jesus. They loved my kids. They, she said, God blessed us in so many ways. But she said, I've often wondered if maybe I missed what God really wanted me to do. What if I had become a missionary? And I was a, I'm, a, I'm a student of history, and I got to thinking, I said, well, Mammy, if you had been a missionary to China, in 1948, the communists came in and ran all of our, our missionaries out. They imprisoned many of them. They, they murdered many of them. And the rest of them, they expelled from the country. And I said, Mammy, if you'd been a missionary in China, you probably would have been there in 1948. And she looked at me with a grin on her face and said, yeah, but wouldn't it have been great? <laughs> wouldn't it have been great? Folks, that's the best thing. Mammy was 89 when she died and was probably the best prayer warrior I've ever had. But she often wondered if she missed the best that God had for her. What does God have for you? If you don't know Jesus, I can tell you there's nothing better than knowing him as your Savior. And if you've heard something today that, that has sparked your interest or you'd like to have more about, Brother Doug's going to be down front in just a moment. Uh, we'd love to tell you what it means to be a believer in Jesus. Uh, we'd love for you. I'll be around. I'd love to talk to you about it. My wife's going to 11 o'clock service. She's not going to be there at 12.30 anyway, so I'm in here as long as I want, as you need me. If you don't know Jesus, let me, let me encourage you to consider that today. But what if you do know Jesus? Are you where God wants you to be? Are you missing something? Is there more? Is there more that, that he wants you to have? Are you comfortable? Do you need to be uncomfortable? Don't leave here today until that's answered in your heart, until God gives you an answer. Would you join us, we pray. Brother Doug, would you come? Musicians, would you come? Father, thank you for loving us. And thank you that you are the best, that there's nothing better than you, that what you have for us is more than we could ever imagine. 
Lord, I pray if there are folks here today who don't know you as their Savior, who do not have a personal relationship, God, I pray that they won't leave here until that happens. Father, if there are folks here today who have gotten satisfied, who have gotten comfortable, Lord, I pray that you'll uh, give them a new vision, give them a new mission, give them a new uh, uh, responsibility in your kingdom. Lord, thank you again for Mission Point. Thank you, Brother Stephen. Lord, I pray for him. I pray that you'll heal him, that you'll bring him back in good health. And we thank you for what you're going to do. Use this time, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? If you, God leads you to do something, you, you can come and share that with Brother Bill.